Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. Uh, we'll be surprised if anybody shows up because when we scheduled this event, we accidentally scheduled it for a week from now <laughs> on the 18th. So, but that's what happens when you're in hell. Nothing seems to go your way. And <clears throat> we did not plan that hiccup, that, that error. And we certainly did not plan on having this the topic of to today's topic. But last week we were talking about going with the flow. And sometimes that flow takes us very deep into very uh, unpleasant places. And although we talked last week about, you know, some of the various states of water, ice and mist and so forth, we also talked about raging torrents and all sorts of states of water. We never did get into the flow of magma the flow of lava, the eruption that takes place in our lives on occasion. That too is a flow. And those, those flows of magma deep in the Earth's core, we associate with hell, the flames, the eternal torrent, torment. <clears throat> Suffice it to say, this week, and specifically this weekend, has been difficult. And because of that, we thought it appropriate to not share specifics, because that's very personal to all of us. Whenever you're going through something which is your own personal hell, your own personal hell on earth, or your own individual personal psychological hell. You know what that is for you. It's different for everybody. I mean, obviously there are similarities. There are shared experiences. There are commonalities between individuals. And so many people go through very similar things. But the point of today's talk is not to peel back the layers of the specifics and dissecting individual circumstances and so forth, but rather talking about the being in it experience itself. What do we do 
when it seems absolutely everything is stacked against us. Yes, we may be we might be in a flow, but that flow seems to be taking us no good place or no no place of any sort of positive feedback or 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 uh, you'll have to for, you'll have to forgive us today <clears throat> because for us being in hell is in part being cut off for most people it feels that way and and when you feel cut off you have that sense of being forsaken forgotten and forlorn and when nothing goes your way and everything seems to be going against you nothing seems to go right everything is just one calamitous precipitous event after another you feel abandoned and you know when you're in your own personal hell it does feel like you are condemned oh yes uh joe makes this point uh one of the things that we did was we did some rearranging some reorganizing down here so what you're seeing as a portal behind me right now it's just a shadow that's reflecting on the green screen and it's creating that artifacting um we have yet to be able to rejig the lighting to make that go away um, we had to reorient some of our <clears throat> workstation and monitors and we had to do some reorganizing down here because the way our monitors were set up we were getting a a crook in our neck because we always had to look to one side to one monitor so now they're both more centralized so we can look at either monitor without putting too much of a strain <clears throat> in our neck but of course the result is now that we have this weird artifacting happening behind us incidentally we forgot of course to share with you the link if you want to come on and contribute to the discussion it's here in the uh in the chat but it's also on screen now everything or anything and everything you do when when you're in this place of personal hell uh it seems like you can't do anything right everything that happens just seems one thing after another after another after another like things are stacked against you um we've all faced this and it's something that happens i don't know we can't definitively say that it's something that happens regularly for everyone Maybe it does. Maybe they just don't notice. Or maybe they defiantly uh, ignore it, if that makes any sense. They 
out of spite refuse to recognize it or you have those who use their power of positive thinking and that sort of philosophy to avoid the fact that on the alm of life as we go around the spiral right we must descend before we can ascend and that invariably takes us to a place where we are furthest away we are deepest into the mire we are deepest into our own individual psychological hell <clears throat> and we have to face that hell we have to be in it we don't have to be of it but we have to be in it and we know we have to be in it because we're there we wouldn't be there if it wasn't part of our path it's not pleasant and depending on your particular hell it can be filled with unpleasantries that yeah you wouldn't want to share publicly but there is a reason why we go to hell there's a reason why we visit this place this place of suffering and knowing that reason perhaps can help us traverse the dungeons and help us navigate our way through the labyrinth through the chambers of suffering through the rivers of magma and through the walls of flames and we're using this imagery not only because it's cliche but because we don't want in any way shape or form to minimize or dismiss or trivialize the experience we can't know the specifics of what your individual hell is we can't know that only you know that no one can know the specifics and the specific ways in which you suffer your individual hell but anyone who consciously observes themselves and consciously goes through life and is aware and awake of the fact that they are in psychological hell they know what they've gone through to one degree or another and no one who has consciously gone through hell would ever in any good conscience minimize or minimize someone else's suffering by saying oh well you know you don't know what hell really is that that's mystic pride and so we use the language that cliched language of fire and brimstone and suffering and horrendous heat and and 
all the rest of it. Because it's effective at communicating, we hope, that we feel your pain. Again, not specifically, right? I can't feel your pain the way you feel it, even as an empath. I, I experience some sort of proxy. But even that is based on my own experience. But what I can feel is the intense compassion that is born of that. And what I, I can have a sense of is the degree and the intensity of whatever specific suffering you're going through and how that suffering burns and how that suffering demoralizes and how that suffering weighs heavy on us. As we've often said in the past, the word enlightenment has a double meaning. It doesn't, it's not only to be in the light, but enlightenment has this connotation of being lighter, of being more subtle, being more buoyant, of having the weight taken off of our shoulders. And truly, when we are in the depths of hell, when we're in the depths of despair, or again, however you define it, whatever constitutes hell for you in your life, because there's an entire cornucopia of experience out there that that blends into an infinite number of recipes for suffering because of the infinite number of paths and experiences and individuated essences, individuated monads, your divine self, your divine soul, your innermost, and the unique karma that you, that you are dealing with, the unique destiny that you are here to fulfill in this life, and the unique combination of experiences of growing up and all the rest of it it all combines and there is this state or this place which for you constitutes that 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 load that baggage we have these words for a reason right we carry these burdens with us in our life and so enlightenment is as much to do with Eliminating that, being liberated of these burdens, being liberated of these loads that weigh us down and that drag us back down into the depths of our own psychological hell. There is, of course, the Greek myth of Sisyphus, if we have that name correct. Uh, He is the one who is condemned to rolling the boulder up the hill, up the mountain. When he gets it, when he it gets to the top, he lets it go and it rolls back down again. And he has to climb down and get behind the boulder and start rolling it up again. This condemnation of this eternal circle cycles of 
pushing a heavy burden. You see, that's the type of activity or analogy, analogy, parable, which constitutes people's conceptualization of what a hellish existence would be like. To put all of one's effort and energy and weight behind pushing some burden up a mountain and reaching the top only to watch all of that effort and energy to have been in vain and gone to waste. We have to now trudge back down the mountain and doing, do it all over again. And over and over and over and over. And this cyclical repetition of carrying the same burden over and over and pushing this burden. This is the wheel of samsara. This is the wheel of suffering. Because it is very easy for us to conceptualize one trip up the mountain, pushing the boulder, as one lifetime. And we think that we are accomplishing something, right? We, th- we are achieving worldly success, right? We're getting up the mountain. We're rising in the ranks. We're becoming wealthy or famous or successful by whatever worldly metrics And yet, even when, as we reach the pinnacle of that worldly success, at the last moment, when we take our final breath, the fact of the matter is, is that burden, the source of our suffering, that heaviness, that weight, that karma, will still be with us. And the boulder rolling back down to the bottom is just analogous to the mountain itself vanishing because that lifetime is over. It's gone. We can't get it back. The fame, the fortune, the worldly success, boom, it's gone. And what do we do? We find ourselves standing at the bottom in the valley, in the pit, in the valley of darkness next to the boulder. And if you know anything about boulders and snowballs or lumps of dung as they're rolled up by a dung beetle, you know that as you roll them, they they pick up more sediment. That's the snowballing effect. Like when you make giant snowballs to build a snowman or snow fort, you start rolling the snow in the snow and it just keeps bigger and bigger and bigger. which is the devolving downward spiral aspect of this. But the boulder we're pushing actually keeps getting bigger if we're not working on chipping away at it. And why should we bring this up? Because every time we are granted a taste of psychological hell here on earth 
and we are taken into hell. We are shown our boulder. And sometimes we're we slip and lose our footing and that boulder rolls over us and we feel its weight to remind us of what our work truly is what our psychological hell truly is it's with us all the time hell is really just peeling away the layers of illusion this is worth meditating on this is worth contemplating Hell is just the reality of the infernal dimensions, which are always there, which are always present. Our subconscious mind, our egos, the manifestations of our karma, our boulder, it's always there. And sometimes we can get complacent. We can get cocky. We can become forgetful, unobservant. We start focusing on other things. We start believing this or that about ourselves. Or we have a stretch where things seem to be going really good, right? We're in the flow and everything's flowing and abundance is flowing and, 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 Everything is synchronicity and everything is synergistic, right? This is what everybody wants, isn't it? That are on the path. This is what all the spiritual people want, isn't it? This is what we look for. We look for synchronicities and we look for synergies and we look for alignments and we look for, right? And we want to be in the flow state where everything is beautiful and hunky-dory and rainbows and unicorns. And even if we're going through the storm, it's okay. We're going to surf that wave. And things can be chaotic and things can be crazy, but it's okay because we're in the flow and everything's crashing and happening around us. This can lead us to forget forget the boulder And so sometimes, as a friendly reminder, all of that gets peeled away. And all of that virtual reality gets stripped down to the drywall. And what's left is the stark reality of where we are here and now in this dimension 
look around the world today. Look at the general direction that culture is going. Look at the geopolitical situation, you look at the economic situation, but mostly you look at the nature of humanity's behavior towards one another. And you, you, you will know where you are, where we all are. And to have an experience of going through personal hell is a reminder of that. And is a reminder of the work and what we're really here to do. And it can feel very humiliating. And we're not using that word in a negative way. Yes, it can feel demoralizing, defeating. It can feel lots of, we can feel lots of different emotions in hell. But humiliation is the most important one. Because humiliation in modern parlance is used in a negative way. It has negative connotations. Oh, he humiliated so-and-so. And oh my gosh, how humiliating. But the root word of humiliate or humiliation is humility. To be humble. It's one of the eight great virtues. Humility. You know you're in hell when the actionable expression of a virtue is deemed as a sin, as a vice. To be humiliated, it's taken as a, it's taken as a slight, it's taken as an attack on my person. To, hum, to be humiliated, it's a beautiful thing. To, to be taken to a place where we have to stare into ourselves and connect with and embrace a place of humility, to be humble. And there has, there's a very important practical esoteric reason why we are humiliated. Because the opposite, the antithesis of humility is pride and shame, frankly, because people often equate shame with humiliation, but shame is the reaction to humiliation. And what reacts to humility is pride. Shame is the dark side of pride. It's pride that doesn't want to be humiliated. 
And pride will make us feel ashamed so that we will avoid situations of being humiliated. And we will lash out and defend ourselves against any people or circumstances that are trying to humiliate us. But again, let us look to the synergy, let us look to the synchronicity and the alignment of the topic of today, of being in hell and what hell is. The boulder is always with us. To be in hell is to strip away the illusion of this 3D world. To strip away the illusion of the false self and to see ourselves as we are and where we are. And the burden we carry, the burden which keeps dragging us down. to see reality as it is, to experience the facts. Now, what are we stripping away? If we're stripping away the false self, then we're stripping away pride. And if we strip away pride, what we are left with is humility. Joe has to bounce he says uh thank you for joining us for the time that you did and uh yeah hopefully you'll you'll catch the uh, the replay and sorry we didn't get to your comments earlier we will get we we're about to get to them now but uh have a good rest of your weekend joe <clears throat> if pride is the antithesis of humility then stripping away the false self, stripping away pride, leaves us with humility. That is the process of humiliation. That's the, that's the child in the fable of the emperor's clothes and the little, the emperor's new clothes and the child who points at the emperor says, he's naked, he's naked. What's he doing? If not humiliating the king, humiliating the emperor, right? The emperor's new clothes. He's humiliating the emperor. He's exposing the truth. The emperor is literally exposed, literally stripped down to nothing. And that's when everyone in the court sees him for what he is, just a man. <laughs> As Azil adds, yes, like how the coyote gets humiliated by Roadrunner. Meet me. It's actually not a bad analogy. Because we all know about Wild E. Coyote from the rare cartoons, the ones uh, with the sheepdog. But there is one with Bugs Bunny as well. 
where he uh, he says, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Wile E. Coyote, genius. I'm faster, smarter, more cunning. You really don't stand the chance. So you might as well just give up now, right? He's that it, it's absolutely brilliant, and the fact that he always comes up with these ridiculous, elaborate uh, plans, right? It's it's just like just like we do. We have all of these plans and ideas and schemes and strategies, and oh, and this is going to work, and we're so proud of ourselves, and we're so full of ourselves. Like Wiley Coyote is. And so whether it's the Roadrunner or whether it's Bugs Bunny or the sheepdog that's getting the better of him, yeah, he's humiliated because all of his plans and all of his strategies and all of his acme gadgetry and all of his super genius, it's all for naught. It all goes nowhere. It gets him nowhere. And it will get us nowhere. Because that's Sisyphus at the top of the hill watching his boulder roll all the way back down to the bottom. That's the pride, the hubris, the narcissism of the false self. The one that believes and spends an entire lifetime pushing the boulder up the mountain believing that we can overcome the laws of the universe, and in that case, gravity. So to be humiliated, to be stripped down, to be beaten, to be trodden on, to be beaten down into the dust, to be dragged back down into hell, what was it? Wasn't there, speaking of Looney Tunes, Azazel, you you started this, so you you got to you you got to uh, you got to accept responsibility for this now. Uh, there is a Looney Tunes cartoon where, if we're not mistaken, is it Sylvester, or or there's a cat that's trying to get uh, the mouse or the Tweety Bird or something, and he has nine lives. And each time he dies, he ends up back in hell. And the devil is taking a note and taking, um, oh, what was it? No, it was, the devil is like, there's a rabbit up there. Oh, it's Yosemite Sam. Ah, we can't remember exactly which character it was, but it was the devil that says, there's a, there's a, there's a rat, there's a certain rabbit up there. That we've been trying to get down here. <laughs> if you can do that for us, we'll let you go. And and uh, and that's what the 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 cartoon is about. So this character ends up in hell, and then the, he makes a deal with the devil to uh, to um, to get Bugs Bunny down there. Yes, Benjamin says yes. It was Yosemite Sam. Okay. Um. Knowing all of this and relating it back to last week's talk about the flow state, about being, how does this square 
with our experience of feeling hopeless and helpless and condemned and forgotten and forsaken um very early in the in about half an hour ago christy christine made this comment yes when we were listing off these these feelings of abandonment condemnation of being forgotten and forsaken and left in hell all alone we feel cut off from our being we feel cut off from our true self what's that all about when last week we were talking about being in the flow state and that flow state is being but hell feels like we're cut off from our being what's how is that being how is that being in the flow state the answer of course is that it is precisely to help us develop discernment recognition and appreciation for being to be or not to be that is the question well how can we know what it means not to be unless we experience it and unless we experience the consequences because let's face it there are plenty of people in the world not being plenty of people in the world and they have very comfortable lives they're enjoying themselves the hedonistic lives pleasure field lives they're drowning out they they they're surrounding themselves with layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers, and layers of illusion a fantasy of belief of yeah pleasure and distraction and uh acquaintances and parties and doing and filling their schedules and busyness busy 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 right what is being in hell being in hell is having all of that stripped away so what do they do they keep layering it on and layering it on and layering it on and layering it on like armor why so they don't have to experience what's at the heart of all of that armor which is their hell state which is their own individual hell and they keep they they keep burying it deeper and deeper and deeper beneath more and more layers of stuff of ideas of beliefs of uh you know, religions if that's what the case may be of of uh clubs associations you know experiences and we all know all the trappings of the physical world right they are avoiding avoiding what 
They are avoiding the still soft voice inside of them. Their inner child. It's just a seed, a spark, an essence, an infant But that innocent voice of honesty and truth that just points to us and says the emperor has no clothes. All that is illusion. All of that is fantasy. All of that is avoiding the stark reality of the situation that would humiliate us and bring us back down to earth and and what's more bring us deep into the core of the earth to have us face our demons in the valley of the shadow of death and have us crushed by the boulder to remind us to wake us up and remind us of the work that we have yet to do and the burden that we still carry with us. But this is not the only reason why we are humiliated. And something tells me that Benjamin's comment here is going to segue into that reason. Even Jesus, Benjamin says, had uh, descends to hell teach about the kingdom of God. He's humiliated and scorned, yet he ascends back to heaven. It was said that there's no tree that reaches the heights of heaven whose roots are not reaching the depths of hell. Yeah, it was Carl Jung who said that. And as we intuited, Benjamin, your scriptural um, insight uh, is right on point. And Christine, uh, you're welcome for whatever it is we, we, we've said or done, which, for which you are thanking us. And she says, I'm new to this site. This is my first time here and video. Well, you are more than welcome. And uh, we're so glad that you could join us. And we did recognize you as a, a new name. But then again, we didn't want to assume anything because you might have been listening and just didn't comment before. But we're glad to have you here. We're glad to have you, your voice uh, being shared uh, with everyone because we do like our, our uh, discussions to be interactive because there's, there's few of us, there's few of us that we can, we can easily and happily do that. And we remind you that there is a link that if you want to come on and, and, and like a Zoom call, that link is available to you and you're, you're more than welcome to do so. But just um, getting back to what Benjamin's uh, comment was um, and what the segue is, because we said, we intuited that Benjamin would say something that would segue into the next important reason why we need to be humiliated and why Jesus was humiliated. And Benjamin points out, well, Jesus was humiliated and scorned. I mean, we, we should not underestimate what the crucifixion was and who demanded it and what it entailed. And so just imagine a slow stoning all along the way up Calvary, right? And just 
and a complete and total stripping down of a human being of the the complete and total shredding of any and all human dignity just you know uh not long ago we were talking about game of thrones and there is that scene in game of thrones where i can't remember the character's name but she's 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 being persecuted by the uh by the religious fanatics and she has to walk naked through the city and behind her is you know there's a there's a a nun banging a gong saying shame 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 right and the whole city comes out to humiliate and and to scorn and to you know and this is uh benjamin says the crucifixion is equivalent to the seventh layer of the mythological hell do you get that from dante or we're just curious if uh, Dante is that is it Dante the seventh uh, level of inferno where uh, crucifixions happen? I don't know, we can't remember the uh, these details. We're not we these these sorts of <laughs> these sorts of, these are the kinds of details that we generally speaking don't concern ourselves with. Um, crucifixion is hell on earth, and so surely it's it's a it's an expression that which is why Benjamin's sharing that, that it's not to be taken lightly. But all of that, all of that precedes Jesus's death and descent into actual hell, where yes, he frees souls from hell. But again, this, we said there was a segue here. The segue is into a quote from Samuel Anmayor, who said, every exaltation is preceded by a great humiliation. Every exaltation is preceded by a great humiliation. That is putting into words A, in a linear cyclic fashion describing the alm of life, right? The, the expanding spiral. Or this, this, either the spiral of expansion or the spiral of synthesis. It does not matter if the spiral is going outward or moving inward. You cannot ascend to the next rung of where you want to go, whether it's expansion or uh, a synthesis. You have to descend before you can ascend. That's the hero's journey. That's the alm of life. So before every exaltation, before every ascent, before getting to the next higher level, we must go to the next deeper level. And the deeper level comes first. The humiliation comes first. The descent into hell precedes the exaltation. This is, by the way, the classic story structure 
in mythology and in all narrative that Joseph Campbell pointed out in his exhaustive study of over 6,500 stories and myths spanning the globe, including villages that only have verbal traditions. And he documented, he wrote down their, their folklore and folktale and legends and myths. And they all had the same structure, the three-act structure, where everything goes to hell in Act 2, literally. Everything goes to hell in Act 2. Just think of Star Wars that ends on this super high note, and then think Empire Strikes Back. Where everything literally goes to hell. And then the exaltation, the redemption of Return of the Jedi. Everything has to go to hell in Act 2. Every hero has to descend into the underworld that's ruled by Hades. Every hero has to navigate the labyrinth. Every hero has to face their demons. And we have to be reminded of our nature, the true nature of our demons, the true nature of who and what we are and where we belong, and where we will end up if we fail as heroes, if we fail to fulfill our destiny. We have to be shown that, hey, you know, you're still Sisyphus. You still got this big boulder. Don't believe me? Crunch. Meet me. It's, you can blame Azazel for the uh, all the Looney Tunes stuff. Um, and he says, the fire that stems from the inverted pentagram. Oh, okay. There you go. That's, yeah. So being humiliated and going into hell could very well be Yeah, so were we, Christine. So were we. <laughs> uh, as you can tell that, right? Going into hell and being humiliated is potentially a springboard. It's not something to count on. It's not something we expect. That, But there is a cliche that says uh, there's no place left to go from here there's nowhere to go but up you know when you hit when you hit rock bottom 
which of course brings us to the question of how 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 does this so-called exaltation come about every exaltation is preceded by a great humiliation okay that's fine no tree's branches reach to heaven whose roots do not reach down to hell okay we get it to get to the next level of the spiral of the alm of life you got to descend to the next lower level right so we all of that is well and good but when you're down in hell and you're feeling defeated and condemned and forlorn and forgotten and you have no energy and you have no motivation and you can't think of anything you can't seem to do anything right nothing seems to go your way and nothing you do seems to produce any positive results where is this great exaltation coming from how can we make it come about somehow what do we need to do to make it come about if you observe the video that we put out a few weeks ago and we were talking about the alm of life self-observation and recognition analysis diagnosis analysis comprehension happens at the bottom of the cycle of the alm of life comprehension the aha moment a realization a moment of clarity a moment of awakening when in the dark all alone when nothing we do seems to go the right way Well, what's the point of doing anything? To be in hell is a hard lesson, but it's an essential lesson to anyone on the path. Because when nothing you do seems to go your way, when nothing you do seems to have any benefit whatsoever what is the point of doing anything this is the moment when ironically we are most likely to surrender this is the moment when we are most likely to throw our hands up and say well look uh, 
I clearly I'm not qualified. Clearly nothing I do is going to make a lick of difference. And as is, as Azil says, yeah, what's the point? This is the point. This is the point. When we snap into that comprehension and we realize that we are in hell because of our doing and we say, well, clearly I'm not qualified because anything I do just seems to dig me deeper into this hell. How about I don't do anything? How about I try being instead? Who knows? We might even turn within. We might even cry out in pain, in agony, in suffering. Cry out to God. Cry out to our Divine Mother. Cry out to our innermost being. Cry out to Jesus, to Buddha, to Krishna, to whomever, to Muhammad, praise be unto him. To the prophets, to our ancestors, to it doesn't matter. But you make this cry out to the universe and you say, I'm stuck. I'm in a place. I'm in over my head. This is beyond my pay grade. I'm in hell. And it's a hell of my own making. And the more I try to dig my way out of it, the deeper I dig myself into it. When you have that experience and you have that comprehension, and not intellectually, but comprehensive fully in your heart, where you know like you know like you know like you know, that is when you have the impetus to do what Christine is sharing with us here. Where she says, this is where I am right now, crying out to the universe, I'm stuck, help, guide me. And that's good. And that's a good first step. But there's more to... We have to... go a little deeper, expand our sensibilities around this archetype, this archetypical venture into hell that every hero takes. Because, let's face it, there's more to being a hero than getting tangled up in a fine mess and asking for liberation from that mess and be, being, being liberated from that mess, getting out of it. Because to have a story 
where the hero bumbles and fumbles their way into a big mess and then bumbles and fumbles their way out of it or the circumstances somehow align and they, you know, magically get out of it. That's not a heroic journey. That's called a comedy of errors. To be is not passive. This is very subtle and very difficult for the mind to grasp. But if you meditate, then you know that meditation is not passive. Meditation is active. But meditation is not doing. Meditation is the opposite of doing, but it is also the opposite of being passive. It is this middle way. It is this third way, which has no relationship with doing and has no relationship with being passive. It is active being. Actively being. Again, we can draw on the waters of our discussion of flow state. Actively being, seeking that flow state to be. To be in hell and feel, and feel discombobulated, feel disconnected, forsaken, forlorn, forgotten. Well, that's not being. That's what puts us in hell. We have that, we're disconnected, we're surrounded only by the sources of our suffering. That's what hell is. So we call out, we cry out to help us to overcome and be free of the sources of our suffering. And if circumstances or some magical intervention came and removed us from that hell, we would be out of hell, but to what end? Now, what if we ask Azazel's question? We went into hell, we were stuck in hell, we cried out, we prayed, get us out of hell, please, please, please get us out of hell. So fine, we were taken back out of hell, we're no longer in hell, so what was the point? You see, there's still no point. There's still no point. There must be more to it. There must be more to it. What is it that the hero does down in the labyrinth, down in the dungeons? What does Gandalf do with the Balrog? I 
And more importantly, what does Gandalf do after he slays the Balrog? What happens to Gandalf? He vanquishes the Balrog. He defeats the Balrog. Cuts him down. And moments later, Gandalf himself dies. And this is all recounted to us by the white wizard. Right? Gandalf the White. Because, of course, the Gandalf who dies in the lowest dungeons, of the, hi- the highest peak of the lowest dungeons, where he smote the Balrog, that was Gandalf the Grey. But the one who recounts the story in Fangorn Forest is Gandalf the White. We've told the story many times on this live stream, but we'll recount it again how in our lowest point, and and you know, we said we weren't going to share details of this particular hell that we've been going through uh, this weekend. But let's face it, our ongoing battle with the demon and with epilepsy played a role. I mean, that's our Balrog, and we have yet to smote our Balrog. We're still fighting it. I mean, it happens in a few moments in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, but life is not like that. <laughs> when you're battling a, uh, 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 a powerful demon who has that sort of hold over you or has the potential to have that kind of hold over you. But as we were first facing... Um, epilepsy years ago and and after you know years of bumbling and fumbling our way through the medical system until at last we had reached the uh, top epilepsy uh, uh, clinic in all of Canada and the top epilepsy neurology said well we're going to qu- cut out a quarter of your brain and we'll give you 50 50 odds of curing your epilepsy You know, the still soft voice told me to take it under advisement. I came home. And I've recounted the story many times. And I'm going to just recount it again to emphasize that I opened up Google and I prayed. I said, here's the vast repertoire of human knowledge at my fingertips. I've spent years battling this epilepsy, battling this demon in my life to no avail. 
I've only seemed to dig myself deeper and deeper and deeper into hell. And now this, this uh, materialist scientist has offered to butcher me and gave me a 50-50 bargain, just like, the, just like the devil always does, right? The devil's bargain is always 50-50. That's why in these movies, like uh, No Country for Old Men and stuff, you always have this trope where you have a villain offering, you know, he flips a coin and he offers his victim to call it. Like Shagur does in No Country for Old Men. Like he has this twisted sense of justice. Oh, don't worry. You have 50-50 odds of, of living. Or, uh, or Two-Face in, um, in The Dark Knight. Right? Harvey Two-Face. He's got his lucky coin and he gives people, you know, he flips a coin and he gives them a, this, you know, this is his luck, right? He says it's the only true justice. It's this twisted thing. So here I was praying and I said, look, my life is over. All right? My life is over. I was, I was suffering, you know, three to four seizures a day. My life was functionally over. You can't have a normal life with with that kind of you know that my life was not mine anymore and i was suffering from so much anxiety and depression and everything else that goes along with with epilepsy and i said look i'm not qualified clearly i'm not qualified this burden this 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 hell that i'm in this burden that i'm carrying i'm i don't know what to do anything that i do i just dig myself deeper into hell so my life is over So you tell me what to do. You show me where to go. This was to my innermost. To my divine mother. You show me the way and I will walk it. You tell me what to do and I will do it. You show me who to be and I will be it. If you can give me my life back, if you can free me from this demon, then the life that you free will be yours. Because my life is over. As it stands, right? I'm just waiting around to die at this point. I can't do anything. I can't have a job. I can't have, I can't drive. I can't travel. I can't, you know, be alone. I, you know, who's going to want to marry someone, you know, who's having three to four seizures a day. Who's going to be, who's going to want to take on that burden, that responsibility. I'm going to be alone. And I'm never, I'm never going to accomplish anything. I'm surely not going to accomplish what I, was, what I came here to do. So clearly I'm not qualified. And my life is over. So, so if you are the only one who can restore my life to me, then clearly that life was never meant to be mine in the first place.
A hero serves. A hero devotes themselves to others, to their Lord and their Lady. their innermost being and their Divine Mother, the Lord of the Kingdom and the Lady of the Kingdom, who, in turn, are devoted to the King, the King of Kings, the Cosmic Christ. We're just a knight in shining armor. But a knight serves the Kingdom. like Gandalf serves Middle-earth. And him defeating the Balrog and dying at the same time is symbolic. It is what was necessary. He had to face his dark shadow. And that aspect of him had to die. The gray aspect, what made Gandalf the gray, so that he could return Gandalf the white, purified. We go into hell to be purified because the only thing more potent than the purifying waters of baptism, the baptismal font, and the blessed holy waters of the baptismal font. The only thing more purifying than the holy waters is the holy fire. The trial by fire, the cleansing with fire, the purification of fire. Because the, the Divine Mother, the fires and waters of the Divine Mother are the purifying elements which can eliminate, which can liberate us Fire burns and reduces that boulder we carry to ashes and water washes over it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Wash water, water can cut through stone. Water can wear down stone. And fire can melt it. And, and burn it and reduce it to uh, reduce it to ashes. And those fires, as Azazel points out, right? It's, it's, he says nothing beats the cosmic Christ. The fires of the Divine Mother are the Christic fires. They are the, they are the Christ. who descends into the dead, yes, to liberate souls from hell, absolutely, 
but he dies and he suffers that humiliation of having to go down into the bowels of hell itself to do his ministry there. Why? So that he can be born. So that he can resurrect. So that he can become a resurrected master. That exaltation, the ultimate exaltation for anyone living a mortal life is to become immortal in in one lifetime. That is the path of the Bodhisattva. To pay all of one's karma in one lifetime. And to be born of the waters in the spirit. To die and resurrect as a resurrected master. Not everyone who walks this path does so in such a dramatic and intense way as Yeshua ben Pandira, also known as Master Abramento. You know him as Jesus Christ. Because he had a very he is the master of masters for this planet, had a very specific mission. He had a very specific destiny to help alleviate and renegotiate the terms of the karma of this humanity and the karma of this planet. And that is why it is stated, even by the Catholics, that Jesus died for our sins. Because that was not possible before Master Abramento came and performed his lifetime and sacrificed what he sacrificed himself, the way in which he sacrificed himself, and the humiliation which he subjected himself to in the body of Yeshua ben Pandira. He lived that mortal life. He spent 40 years studying in the mystery schools of Egypt. And he he suffered that terrible, humiliating crucifixion. And then what he continued to suffer in hell. Why? So that he could renegotiate with the lords of karma the ability for certain sins to be forgiven, for certain karma to be forgiven for this humanity. Not everything, not everything, but some sins, some karma can be forgiven for this humanity thanks to Aberamento's work. What's more, a lot of karma, a fair amount of karma can be negotiated and we've done a live stream about this already about karma being negotiated but you can do this in prayer in visualization you just have to remember that whatever you promise to do in exchange for the alleviation of karma you must fulfill it you must hold uphold your end of the bargain and we mentioned this negotiation of karma. We mentioned this has, as it relates to 
the exaltation of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of Gandalf as Gandalf the White, and how this all relates to us being in hell and crying out for mercy and crying out for liberation from hell. And how this relates to the negotiation of our karma is because this is a negotiation of karma. We are in hell because of our karma. And we are being put through hell to be shown what is waiting for us if we exhaust all 108 lifetimes and don't eliminate this karma. So you can cry out for help and cry out to negotiate your karma. And if you, you know, lift this burden off my shoulders that's got me in this hell, I promise to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And if you pray that wholeheartedly and earnestly to the lords of karma, and they lift you up out of that hell and they alleviate that karma from your life, you are now, you now owe them the A, B, C, X, Y, Z, which you promised. So don't ever promise something that you can't fulfill or that you don't plan on fulfilling. Because if you renege on a promise that you make to the lords of karma, your karma comes back with interest. Why is that? Because the lords of karma are banking on you keeping your promise. And they are charged with the great balance, the balance of the great law. And if they eliminate this karma, they can only do so based on your promises to put into the system, to, to, to pay it back, to put into the system and balance out the system by virtue of work on others' behalf, by virtue of helping others, right? Service to others. So if you renege on this service, now there's a there's a deficit and there's an imbalance. Now the lords of karma who are who actively manage karma have to now try to you know reshuffle and re-navigate and re you know rejig everything because of a promise that you made that you didn't keep. So whatever imbalance is now, that's going to come right back onto your shoulders and you're going to be right back in hell where you started. And the next time you beg for help, you may just find uh, it's not quite as easy as it was before to have your prayers heard. Because, you know, the, the old expression, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, and all that stuff. Okay, so we have a few questions. Let's get to these questions. 
Um, they are not easily fooled either. So how likely is it to deceive them? Okay. We're not talking about deception now. You cannot pray in a deceitful way. The Lords of Karma will see right through that. No, we're talking about you making a promise in earnest that you later don't fulfill. At the moment that you're making the promise, at the moment that you're negotiating your karma, you have every intention of fulfilling your promise. But you know what people are like. You know what happens. They're released from hell. This burden of karma is gone off them. They, they stretch their arms and say, Oh my God, I feel so light. I feel so uh, 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 able and capable. And my life is so different now. And do 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 and off they go bouncing off into the meadows into the sunset into you know uh, on you know uh, onto the rainbow and then they forget all about their promise it's happened it happens people are people no 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 you can't deceive the lords of karma you can't sit there without ever having an intention to fulfill your promise and just making empty promises well, guess what? You're you're gonna you're gonna remain in hell because, as Azil's right, you can't fool them. So, as Azil says, it sounds to me there would have to be a deception of self, and it is a kind of, but it's it's a deception of self, but it doesn't have to be in that moment. What it can be is sort of after the fact. It's more of a dereliction of duty. It is neglect. So in our case, there we were facing our hell, right? This demon of epilepsy, this, this, this monstrosity that, 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 that we couldn't deal with on our own. But we admitted that. We recognized that. We said, look, my life is over. I mean, it's like, I knew what I was promising, what I was offering. I knew what it was going to cost me to be seizure-free. And guess what? I'm not 100%. And this weekend reminded me, reminded me that I'm, I'm not entirely free yet. It reminded me, you know, how far I need to go and how deep. But I knew that, as Christine's pointing out here, right, I would have to honor my agreement. And I knew what I was putting on the line, what I was putting on the balance scales. And that was the rest of my life. And truly, that's all I've ever, ever really wanted to do anyway was fulfill my destiny. But, it, but that particular hell is all about reminding me that I am not in control of my destiny.
I accept it. And I be, go with the flow. And I allow my destiny to unfold through me and with me and in me and around me and be one with that destiny. But I don't get to control that destiny. I don't get to control the timelines, the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. No, that's not going with the flow. That's resistance. That's fear. That's control. That's the desire and need to control outcomes. And that's identification with outcomes. A mind that's in the future or in the past. So I knew when I was praying to be liberated from that hell, from this demon. I knew what I was promising. I was very clear on that. And what I'm here talking about today and what I'm here talking about last week and what I'm here talking about two weeks ago and, and every other week, every week that we do these live streams where true peace and true happiness comes from is being and fulfilling one's destiny and recognizing that we serve the true hero inside, the way Hanuman serves Rama. Hanuman, the monkey god, serves Rama on their mission to liberate Krishna. And Krishna is the Hindu Christ. And Hanuman, the monkey god, right? Well, who's the monkey god? Right? The one who most resembles a monkey. It's, this is encoded in all scripture and in all stories and legends and in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Kamal Manzuki uh, says, a karma payment plan. It is that, in a way. In a way, it is that. When you're negotiating your karma, in a way, it is that. It's like going in to uh, renegotiate, refinance your debts. And instead of having uh, you know, $20,000 in credit card debt at 20%, which is killing you in monthly fees and, and destroying your credit, you can go in and work with your bank manager and you know, take out a $5,000 loan and a $5,000 line of credit and, you know, and so on and so forth. And you refinance that, that debt at a lower interest rate, but you still have to pay back the debt, but now it's more manageable. So you can actually go to work and you can actually, you know, be, have a little bit more, uh, relaxation, not having the, uh, the, what do you call it? The uh, the money lenders breathing down in your neck. The the collectors, the collection agencies, breathing down in your neck. Because we've been there in this lifetime. We declared bankruptcy. We've we've been there with actual economic debt. We know what that's like having collection agencies banging on your door. And so, and we've been there karmically. 
we know what it's like, a demon, to be literally banging on the door of your psyche. And not only that, being able to burst in and take you over. That's what an epileptic seizure is. And you lose total control over yourself and you go away. And everybody around you is freaking out because you're gone and something else is there. We've been there. So we know what it means to renegotiate karma. We know what it means to refinance. And karma, Benjamin, is the great law. Cause and effect. This is, this is in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It is the commandment. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. That is Jesus, Master Abramento, putting into words the great law of cause and effect. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Because guess what? What you do unto others, you do unto yourself. Because that's also in the Bible. Jesus said that. What you do to the least of my brothers, you do unto me. Because the Christ is everywhere. The Logos is in everything. So that which you do to the least of his brothers, you do unto him. And you do unto yourself through the great law. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. The commandment. When his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Master, tell us what is the greatest of the commandments. And that was Jesus' answer. The greatest of the commandments is that, a simple expression of the great law. That is the law of God. That is, the, that is, that is what karma is. That is why we have sin and why we live with sin and how it is that humanity can be fallen because we inherit the debts of our ancestors. We inherit. The great law must balance. The universe must balance. What must be paid must be paid. And Jesus went through. He's the master of masters of this planet and the greatest of masters on this planet because of what he endured and what he suffered and sacrificed, what he gave, what he paid into the great law in order to be able to to for this for humanity to have the possibility of having sins forgiven and having sins renegotiated jesus made that possible for us and by Jesus making his payment as he did, that suffering and sacrifice for a whole, the whole of humanity, he did unto others what he would have done unto him. And that was that now essences of Christ, individuated intimate essences of Christ within all of this humanity have the ability, whenever they are in hell, 
to look within and, and pray and beg with great humility from a place of humiliation of having all pretense and pride and ego and the false self stripped away, naked. To pray, to have the fires of the Christ cleanse me and rid me of these demons, of these burdens that keep me trapped in hell. And in exchange... I will devote myself to you, God, to you, Christ, to you, my innermost being, to you, my divine mother. I will devote myself to you and your work by doing A, B, C. You have to listen to your heart. You have to put on the balance scales. What is it worth to you to be liberated from the hell that you are in and offer to the lords of karma, offer to the Christ, offer to the Logos a payment that you feel is worthy and that you feel you are willing and able to fulfill. And that is this karmic payment plan. In our case, our burden was heavy enough, the consequences of our hell severe enough, and the deepest longing of our being clear enough for us, for me, to know that I was willing to devote and dedicate the rest of my life to the service of the Logos and forego practically all worldly desire and all worldly success in exchange for the right to fulfill my destiny and be free of this hell and to be free of the, the, the chains and bondage of that, of that demon, of, ep of epilepsy, which had essentially stolen my life from me. So, the Logos, the Christ, gave it back to me. Only because we at last surrendered and understood and comprehended through that journey through hell how unqualified I am to fulfill that work, to do this work. I can't muster up any of what we have spoken today i am completely unqualified to be talking about this but we is a, is a different story i surrender to atlas and atlas serves alux who's all light god light the logos the christ and yes, this little bout of hell was just another reminder to me that there's still more work 
for us to be done. There are, you know, there's many, many revolutions around the alm of life. Many humiliations, many exaltations, little advances, right? That's why in Dungeons and Dragons or in video games, right? Where it's little level, one level at a time, you advance to the next level, the next level, the next level, the next level. Right? Even I need the reminders. But it also was an important oversight. And being that we've, we've been talking about it for more than 90 minutes now, it's also, it was clear that this was an oversight that what we did not mention when we were talking about the flow state. But perhaps it wasn't an oversight in as much as this topic deserves its own live stream, its own self-contained discussion. Because it's that important. Because the thing about the flow state, and we talked about that last week, it's so loosey-goosey, right? This go-with-the-flow stuff. And it's water, and it's cooling, and it's refreshing, and it's so, like, you know, it's very, you know, it is what it is. But hell? It burns. It's hot. It's unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It's torment. It's torture. It's very hard. It's very hard to reconcile those two and say that being in hell is part of that flow state. <laughs> it's, very, it's very hard to switch, you know, and, and also it's much easier. Easier is not the right word. It's more poignant and meaningful and intense discussion when we are in it, as, as we are in it right now, as we've been in it all weekend, and as we are in it right now. And as we're stripped away and humiliated, where we even screwed up the uh, the setting of this live stream. So it's, we, got, we got the date wrong in the system. We are not... We've, we've, sh we've thrown a few quotes around here and there, sure. But we're not talking concepts here we're sharing with you not just our past experience but our experience here now in this moment we're sharing with you we are in hell our own individual hell and so the answer to the question what do we do is well be 
pledge, surrender, surrender to the process. Surrender to yourself and let yourself with a little s, let yourself with a little s die. Let your gray self die, like Gandalf the gray dies when he vanquishes the Balrog. But he tells his friends in Fangorn Forest, but I have returned. I have been sent back to complete, to, uh, to complete until my task is done, to complete my task. I am Gandalf the White, he says. And these words, what we're sharing with you, these are, these are Atlas. This is Atlas that we, that I share with you. Inside of you is that innermost essence, that seed. And if you're in hell, you're in the deepest muck, the dirt, the shit, right? The manure. That's where you want to plant that seed and let that seed take root. It's, it's ironic, but that's the truth of it. And that's why Carl Jung has that famous axiom. No tree grows to heaven whose roots do not grow down into hell. Benjamin says, the innermost is guiding the ship of karma and the hard waves are the bills when we fall short of our promise and must set sail once again. It's one way to look at it. There's many, many different ways we can put this into words. But sure, the innermost is guiding our ship. And the hard waves and the bills, uh, when we fall short of our promise, we must set sail once again. We must fulfill our work. We must fulfill our promise. We must fulfill our debts. As Azil says, giving up is not an option at least. There's no point to face judgment as a coward, if that even accounts to anything. So this is an interesting point, because this can be taken a number of ways, like throwing your arms up in the air and surrendering to your innermost and surrendering to God and praying to God seems like you're giving up. But it's the opposite. And we know this from Shakespeare's speech, from Hamlet's speech. To be or not to be, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by avoiding end them.
To surrender is the cowardly way. Oh, sir. To fail to surrender is the cowardly way. Because one of the things that you recognize on the alm of life, when you recognize that you're in hell, is that you need to be there. You're there for a reason. You were guided there. You were taken there. And now you're there being stripped down to the core. Remember that Judas was Jesus's greatest disciple. Jesus assigned Judas the most difficult task the most challenging task, the task which was the most important task that any of the disciples could have been given. That's why Jesus chose his greatest disciple. You are the greatest among all my disciples. You have been given this task. This is actually spelled out in some of the Gnostic Gospels. The actual exchange between Judas and Jesus. And of course, it, 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 it almost killed Judas to have to be the one who sells out Jesus to the Romans, to the authorities. But he does so because that was the Christ's command. That was Jesus' command. Because there wouldn't have been a Christ, there wouldn't have been a resurrected master, there wouldn't have been a living God had Jesus not gone through the crucifixion, had Jesus not gone through the humiliation. So you might be asking, well, why was it necessary? Why couldn't Jesus just give himself up? Well, that relates to suicide. And the uh, heavy karmic price of suicide, because that's that's cowardice. That's giving up. It's a technicality, really. But it's more than a technicality, because Judas, for his quote crime, also descends into hell, because he, according to the Bible, he hangs himself out of guilt. So he and Jesus both work together in hell, liberating souls. It would be, you know, it's easy for you know a cynic or a critic to look upon what Jesus did as surrendering to the authorities. And that 
you can look upon that surrendering as a kind of cowardice. But the reality of it is it was an act of courage. And it all depends on from what point of view you're coming at this. If you're coming at it from a worldly point of view, then surrender is an act of cowardice. But if you're coming at it from the point of view of your innermost, if you're coming at it from the point of view of a divine being who's in hell but not of it, in it but not of it, then you know surrendering is an act of courage. To be is an act of courage. To be is always an act of courage. Always. It just doesn't seem like it many times. And that's because our ego and our mind is so busy rationalizing and arguing and telling us to do something. No, you got to keep going. You got to keep doing this. You got to keep doing that. Maybe you can get out of it this way. Maybe you can get, get out of it that way. What if you did this? What if you did that? Right? Because the ego wants to keep pushing the boulder up the hill. Because it makes you feel like you're, you're strong and you're potent and you're doing something. That you're being, you know, that that, you know, you're not surrendering. You're not giving up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. But if you're Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill, what is the point of that? What is the point of that? What is the point of continuing on the wheel of samsara? On the endless cycle of birth and death and accumulation of ever more karma. So Zazil says uh, he has a twin, and that's referring to Judas. And he also says, yeah, an act of courage, as he knows not to give up twice. Once is enough. That is the lesson. You know, we would love to tell you that that's true. But in our experience... The false self, the ego, doesn't doesn't give up that easily. It keeps creeping in. It keeps wanting to encroach. It keeps wanting to get its clutches. But we know what we're speaking of. We know what we're talking about. Right? We suffered a seizure this week. Literally, something has got it got its claws back into us literally so we're not our work is not done yet and and the places the, the place that we've been since that day and the events leading up to that day and everything is just was just we're in hell we'd we would love to tell you that you only have to do this once. Yeah, 
Yeah, he says it's true. The, the false self is the claws that try to make us fall several times. The, the egos fight back. Our false self, if you've ever... If you've ever seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you can recall the last scene of the movie, the big climactic scene where uh, Eddie and Roger Rabbit are fighting the weasels. And we were going to say, we were going to say, you know, no spoilers or whatever, but you know, that movie is 30 years old now, so we think we're okay <laughs> to, 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 you know, to, uh, to mention that there are, uh, there's a point in that final climactic scene when Roger Rabbit and Eddie are, are battling the weasels that a couple of the weasels uh, die. But because they're cartoons, you know how cartoons die. The, the, their physical body goes stiff and, you know, falls down or, or, you know, whatever. And then their angel, their spirit leaves their body. And in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when one of the weasels dies and his angel, his spirit is leaving the body, his physical toon body is desperately grasping at his angel. And he's, he's, he's clinging onto it. He's holding onto it. He's trying to He's trying to pull the, the, the spirit, the angel back into his body, right? It's such a beautiful allegory or, you know, analogy for how our ego desperately tries to cling to our soul. Benjamin says, to be honest, the false self could be akin to a storm at sea. Yeah, not not good. Um, oh, he says, so the, not to be honest, the. And as Azza says, haha, yeah, I mostly watched Tom and Jerry and Coyote and Roadrunner. I still laugh more uh, than a kid at Tom and Jerry. So there, there, this happens in cartoons a lot, actually, where there's there's the characters watching their their angel, their spirit, right? Like, leave their body and they're and they're they're desperately holding on to it that's how the ego holds on to us so we've often used the the metaphor uh of an alabama tick a tick right you don't let go of a tick or you don't let go of athlete's foot you can't let go of a parasite a parasite has to let go of you and no parasite Let's go of you. Like the face hugger in Aliens. Right? Trying to remove the face hugger in Aliens results in the death of the person, right? It's, 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 it's got such a hold. And then eventually it gets up and leaves on its own, right? Or so, oh, yeah, left on its own. It got up and left. Yeah, okay, yeah. And not without implanting the embryo, right? So there's always a catch. There's always a catch. So that's why the Aum of Life, we describe it as it is. That's why the hero's journey. And that's why heroes have to go on many, many, many journeys. 
heroes in antiquity as well. Like it's the it's the trials of Hercules. What is it? The twelve. The, the it's twelve. Is it not the twelve feats of Hercules? We believe that's right. He has many trials that he has to go through. He has to go through the alm of life, the hero's journey, many, many times. And we have to face our trials. And if we're going through the initiations of the minor mysteries or the major mysteries, as our inner hero, our innermost, is undergoing those initiations, we experience them here. As above, so below. We experience some shadowy reflection of those initiations, and we have to go through that. And those are trials. Those are, those are not necessarily hell, but they're trials, they're tests, they're ordeals. We have to face them. We have to go through them. But being in hell is a different sort of trial. It's a different sort of test. It's a, it's a, a again, as we said, it's, it's the humiliation. And it's the stripping away. And it's the reminder, right? It's the being brought, not just brought back down to earth, but being beyond being brought back to earth, being dragged down to the center of the earth and to be shown and reminded, hey, don't forget who's in charge. Don't forget who the hero is. Don't forget who it is who is qualified to fulfill this destiny, this fate in your lifetime. Don't forget who it is you serve. Because if you try to do it yourself, if you forget who you serve, if you're only serving yourself, if you're only serving your I, you're only making that boulder bigger and bigger and heavier. And this is where you're going to end up. Down here with nothing, nothing to show for it, but this huge boulder. And more than likely, you're going to be crushed under it. So, being in hell while we are alive, being shown that and knowing that is a tremendous opportunity. If we take to heart everything that we've been talking about and our experience and the promise that this, this too shall pass, nothing lasts forever. And though we may feel like we're in hell right now, tomorrow is another day, and tomorrow is another day after that. But if we recommit to our innermost, if we recommit to ourself, if we recommit to our Divine Mother, it's sort of like what comes to mind is couples who reaffirm their wedding vows 
five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years into their marriage. They decide to go through a kind of ceremony and they reaffirm their wedding vows to each other. You might say, ah, yeah, but that's a, you know, just a cliche, whatever, romantic thing to do on an anniversary, blah, 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 whatever. Perhaps. But if you reaffirm your devotion, your pledge to your innermost being, your promise, then it helps to take that tremendous burden off of the shoulder that we carry when we're pushing that boulder up the hill by ourselves. We think that it's our job to do that. Because again, the egos are clamoring after us. They want to get their claws into us. They want to control us. They want to, they want us to get us doing again, do, 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 and trying to control and trying to manipulate and trying to change timelines and, and speed things up, expedite our destiny. Why isn't it happening yet? Why isn't it happening yet? Why hasn't happened yet? And so, when we find ourselves in a place where our demons are gaining ground on us again, they're, they're regaining their strength, they're regaining their influence. And maybe they lost ground before, but now they're winning some of that ground back, like any type of military campaign or battle or, you know, game of chess or whatever, you know, however you want to contextualize it. They're gaining ground. Well, maybe it's time for us to go into hell, which is what war is. And go to battle with those demons again. And, and, and face our demons again and recognize that they've been gaining ground on us through intelligence, through nefarious activity, through stealth, through yeah, through intelligence, through uh, undermining us through black ops. And we have to face them, but we have to face them on their turf, which is hell. We have to go to their source, which is hell. We strip away all the pretense, all the, the beliefs about ourselves, all the narratives, all the constructs, all the mystic pride. Everything gets stripped away like the emperor and the emperor's clothes. And the little child points to us and says, look, he's naked. And we stand there naked in hell. We face our demons. We face the reality of who and what we are and who and what we are not.
and we reaffirm our commitment to our higher self and we reaffirm our devotion to, to the being of beings. We affirm our commitment to our innermost being and affirm our devotion to the being of beings, the cosmic Christ, the being of our being. And it's just prudent. It's just practical to do so. Given the nature of our own karma, given the nature of our own demons, given the nature of our egos, and given the nature of our frail psychology, as uh, susceptible as it is to suggestion and to mystic pride, especially for those on the path. And again, this comes back to what Azazel said earlier, where he talked about self-deception. Because if you've negotiated your karma in the past, and now years have gone by, and you still haven't fulfilled your promise, then another trip down to hell, maybe just what the doctor ordered, for you to remember what you promised. And say, ah, oh, that's right. I better get right on that. Not out of malice, not because you were trying to deceive, but because you were deceiving yourself or you were being deceived. Because remember, mystic pride is pride. And you can come out of hell and in a very short period of time, things start looking up and you get on an, an exaltation arc. And you start believing, wow, I must be this, I must be that, I must be awake now, I must be enlightened now, I must be this or that or the other thing, my work must be done. And you completely forget that promise that you made. And you completely forget that, no, if, you, if you're making any progress whatsoever, it's your innermost being who is progressing. And that is being expressed through you. So a little friendly reminder, um, maybe just what the doctor ordered. So we come full circle then back to being in hell, to dropping on your knees, to looking up and praying for help and guidance. But what you're really doing is negotiating. You have to offer something. And what you're offering, what is you're offering to give something up. In addition to anything that you offer in terms of service to others. Because we also have a, a live stream about how to serve and who to serve. And who does and who do we really serve? If you want to serve others, who is qualified to provide that service? Again, it's all, everything, it's a very nuanced and subtle application of this practical knowledge. Because we can get very gung-ho in our head about, oh, I'm going to go out and do good things in the world. 
and do, 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 do. And with all of our best intentions, we might create a lot of problems. But when we serve our innermost, and that's who we pledge to serve, we pledge to serve our Divine Mother, we pledge to serve the Christ, and what we pray for is guidance and wisdom and direction and, and inspiration and insight regarding who and how to serve others. We don't act without that inner knowledge, without that intuition, without that inspiration and imagination and insight. This is what it means to be, to be a servant, to serve our innermost being and to serve others by serving our innermost being because our innermost being only wants to serve others. Do unto others as you would have done unto you and what you do to the least of my brothers you do unto me. These are the words of the Christ. That's the great law being expressed, the great law of karma. So when we, talk, when we talk about synchronicity and synergy, and being in flow state, now when we fall into line and we serve our innermost on those broader, wider, longer, currents then we become one with the currents of synchronicity and one with the flow of divine mother nature herself which is the Christic force expressing itself, the Holy Spirit expressing itself on all the different manifest layers of reality. And the Christ descending into that. And we can be one with the flow of that. But to be one with the flow of that, one must surrender. To become one with that exalted flow. To be a part of that fountain of sweet ambrosia to be to have that limitless light and that limitless love flowing through oneself into the world as one becomes a part of that eternal fountain the fountain of youth the fountain of creation the fountain of infinity one must must have gone through hell there is no exaltation without a prior humiliation. There just isn't. It is, it is mathematical. It is geometric. It is the alm of life. It is reflected in all phenomenon and in all manifest levels of reality because as above, so below. You cannot run before you walk, before you crawl. There are stages and steps that you must go through. And if you are on the path of the Bodhisattva or any path in which you are trying to attain higher and higher and higher levels of being, 
and you can expect to revisit hell again and again and again and again and again as part of the flow state, as part of your path, as part of being on the alm of life. This is simply par for the course. And each time there is something there for you to comprehend, defeat, let go. There's a, there is more of a psychological death, more aspect of your false self that must die, must be discarded, left behind. Another boulder that's in the rucksack on your back, you take another rock out and you dump it on your path of enlightenment. Because remember, it's not just light, it's also lighter. You're lightening your load. You do that by going into hell, saying, well, what is it that I can give up? What is it that I can sacrifice on the altar? Is it my pride? Is it my greed? Is it my vanity? Is it my, you know, my whatever? And you you meditate. You pray. You ask for guidance. Show me the way. Show me what it is. Show me why I'm in hell this time. Because I'm not qualified to make these choices. As Azil says, it's something more sinister each time. It's more sinister because it's more insidious. Meaning, it's more subtle. And, and that's what makes it more sinister. Those are the, those are the real villainous uh, elements. The, those, the, the villains that are the most potent, the most scary, or the most formidable. Like, for example, in literature or in film, those villains who are, they don't, they don't come across. You know, they're not they're not mustache twirling villains they're, they're they're not obviously villains they're suave they're debonair they're controlled they control their emotions they're sophisticated they're well spoken they often speak with a british accent it's a bit of a cliche but there it is But they're the ones that are the more the most sinister because you they're hard to spot. You wouldn't pick them out in a crowd. You wouldn't be able to say, ah, there's the villain. You wouldn't be able to pick them out of a lineup. There's the villain. And in fact, uh, just the other day, uh, there was a film called The Usual Usual Suspects. 
if you've ever seen that. And Kevin Spacey plays one of the suspects in this lineup. And he has a cerebral palsy. And he's a he's a he's just a he's just a two-bit con man. He has no idea why he ends up in this in this lineup. Right? And of all these like all of these villains, all these gangsters, all these you know, drug runners and 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 weapons dealers and and all this stuff in this lineup. And there's this two-bit con man, like real estate con artist among them. And he's even got a physical disability. And uh, he's he's brought in because all of them are, are brought in for questioning on this this huge, you know, explosion. And he's the last person you would you would suspect but he's in this lineup they put him in this lineup and in fact the whole movie is him being interrogated by agent coolion so so sometimes the most sinister and the most evil villain is the one the aspect of ourselves that we least expect that we least suspect and we're trying to look for the usual suspects. We're in hell. We're trying to determine what's the real cause of our suffering. And we're looking to all the, you know, where are the demons, right? Where are the, the, the horned beasts with the wings flaming and everything else? Meanwhile, there may be hidden away in a corner somewhere, some sniveling little child in the corner, our hurt child from our youth or whatever, some little tremendous traumatized aspect of our psyche who is in secret the demon that is keeping us trapped in hell <laughs> benjamin says the merovingian with a british accent <laughs> from uh, yeah from uh, the matrix It's it's an overdone cliche in movies, but but it makes the point, and the point is there. The point is there for a reason. The cliche exists for a reason. In, uh, as Azza says, "Few, I'm a, I'm a Swede. Won't have that accent issue." <laughs> are you Are you suggesting that the Swedish accent isn't intimidating <laughs> and uh, sly and debonair? <laughs> Well, it's true. the uh, The Swedish chef on the Muppets didn't intimidate anyone. <laughs> he wasn't a. So, listen, everyone. Um, we think that's. We're, if 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 anyone has any more questions or comments, um, you know, feel free. Uh, to uh, to make them. 
uh, as Azazel says, oh, the Swedish accent, it can be intimidating to its own people. <laughs> um, that's, I think that, that's true for all languages and all cultures. Um, if, uh, if anyone has anything you would like to ask or share or, or, or um, uh, feel free to do so. Um, again, because of circumstances being what they are and everything else, uh, we think we'll, we'll call it a day. It's a, it's an important topic. It's an important subject. It's one that most people would rather avoid in the so-called, on the so-called spiritual path, but it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. There's a reason why. Uh, people are so-called obsessed with hell. There's a reason for it. Azazel says, no, he has nothing to add, but he appreciates the timely topic. Um, it's, uh, well, we're, we're glad because, you know, we... Uh, wow, there it is. It's Benjamin says, thank you for inspiring us because despite your struggles, you are still dedicated to serving your innermost being. Thank you for sharing your light because although we are all in hell, people like you are what guides us on the right path. According to, to the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, thank you, Benjamin, for those reassuring words. Um, but yes, absolutely. We know that there was a reason for us to go through what we went through. And we know that it was partly for so that we could do today. Uh Kamal Manzuki asks, can you comment on meaningful distinctions between experiencing hell in this life and experiencing it after death? Meaningful distinctions, yes. We have to, dis first of all, we have to distinguish between death once we have exhausted our 108 human lifetimes or death in between lifetimes because there is a difference when we die we enter into what's known as the bardo in tibetan buddhism or in between state which is hell it's what the catholics call limbo it's in the first few levels of hell. And that experience is very much and very similar to what we experience when we dream. It's like a dream state. We don't know we're dead. In the same way that when we dream, we don't know that we're asleep. Unless we know we're asleep and we know we're dreaming, in which case 
we can wake up and have what's called a lucid dream, or we can project in the astral plane. But we can't do that in between lifetimes unless we've created our solar astral body, which is a whole different level of conversation. So when we go to sleep and our spirit leaves our body, we go into hell. We go into the lunar astral plane, the first few layers of Klipoth. And we dream there. We don't, we don't realize we're sleeping. And when you're in those levels of hell, you don't realize you're in hell. And your soul will wait there until karmic circumstances are arranged in such a way that you can return into a new body and that you can be born and have another lifetime. So sometimes when you dream, you have nightmares. And in those instances, you're a little deeper and you your dreams are are nightmares and you can have different intensities of nightmares so really we're talking about going deeper and deeper and deeper into hell deeper into our subconscious mind if you want to think of it in those terms because we can think of it in those in those terms it is possible to be lucid in the lunar vehicles in limbo, but not when you're dead. Not when you're dead. You can't be lucid when you're dead. You're dreaming. You're dead. The only reason why you can be lucid is because you can be conscious, but you can't be conscious when you're dead. You can only be conscious when you're dead if you created the solar astral body then you can be conscious and lucid um, after you die. So most people who are in hell don't know that they're in hell. That's the, that's the, the point. And you have to wait. The exception to that rule is if you're awakening as a demon, but then that's an entirely different, an entirely different, again, it's the completely opposite end of the spectrum and an entirely different discussion and something that frankly, we don't have direct experience with of being an awakened demon in hell after death. I mean, we don't, we can't describe to you what that's like. We don't have that experience. Or at least we don't think we have that experience. We don't remember having that experience. So, so coming back to uh, Kamal Mangzuki's question here, can you comment on meaningful distinctions between experiencing hell in this life and experiencing it after death? So when you're in hell, when you're awake like you're just in hell like you're just everything's going wrong it's 
it feels like a bit of a night. It feels a bit nightmarish. Like you're, you're like people will say that comment, like what kind of nightmare is this? What kind of nightmare am I in? And people will make these sorts of comments. And it's like, oh man, it feels like I'm trapped in some kind of a nightmare. Like when people say these things, they don't say these things by accident. So in the same way that a nightmare is, is often very real or has very real-ish elements to it, that's what makes it so frightening because it is it seems so plausible. It seems so realistic in some ways. In other ways, not so much. Just like when we're in hell, things start to seem a little surreal at times. Like how can anybody have such bad luck? How can... How can so many bad things happen to, to one person in such a condensed period of time? Right? You can, you can experience that in, in different ways. Now, all of this differs from the experience of hell once you've exhausted 108 lifetimes. Because you only have about 108 lifetimes in the human kingdom to get it right, to get off the wheel. And that experience is one of, you don't get another kick at the can. So you have to be cleansed under extreme pressure and under extreme heat. Your monad has to be scoured clean of all of its karma, of all of its egos. And all of those eyes, all of those aspects of the false self have to be eradicated. You see, that doesn't happen in the first few levels of hell, because in the first few levels of hell, you're just really waiting. That's what it's that's why the, the Tibetan Buddhists call it bardo or in-between place. Because you're just waiting to be to have another life. We don't use the word reincarnation here because it's not reincarnation it's just a return but once you've run out of lifetimes and you haven't awakened you haven't eliminated all of your egos you haven't achieved nirvana you haven't created your solar astral body and the solar uh sorry your solar astral body your solar causal body your solar buddhic body and your solar atmic body. You haven't created those bodies. So you have to go into the lunar astral plane. But from there, you, you, you descend. And you are cleansed of your egos. And then you are eventually reinserted into the mineral kingdom. So when you are born, the next lifetime you get, after you've run out of 108 human lifetimes, the next lifetime you get will be back in the mineral kingdom and you have to begin your journey all over again from ground zero and you will have no memory, no gnosis whatsoever of your previous rounds, of your previous lifetimes, your previous uh, uh, journey of evolution through mineral, plant, animal, and, and human kingdom. Because the process of cleansing a monad in hell is a mechanical process, which is like formatting a hard drive to get rid of all the malware, right? If you have a computer hard drive that's riddled with computer viruses and you want to get rid of all the computer viruses, 
100%, well, what you can do is you can format that hard drive. And it's a mechanical process. It's not a software process. It's a hardware process. And you realign all the magnet, you know, the magnetic um, addresses on the hard drive. And you wipe the hard drive completely. You reformat it. So now it's a fresh, clean hard drive. But guess what? All of, all of your valuable files and programs are also erased. They're also wiped in the process. It's an extreme process, but it's a necessary one. Because clearly, if you can't eliminate your egos, if you can't do the work and eliminate your egos in 108 lifetimes, then you're not going to do it beyond that. Because if you don't do it in 108 lifetimes, you've accumulated so much more additional ego that there's, there's no other option for you. It's the same way of trying to eliminate computer viruses with software. And if you can't do it, it's eventually you have no other choice. You've got to format the hard drive. That's, the, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Sometimes that's the only way to do it. The experience of that in hell is something that Dante describes in Inferno. Because let's face it, when you have to face one of your egos here and now in life, you know that it burns. If somebody points out one of your defects and vices to you, and they're right, they're being honest, they're being true, and you know if you're being honest with yourself, you know they're being true, you know that looking at your own defects and vices, it burns. It, it burns. It hurts. It's painful. And it's only, we're only experiencing a fraction of the pain and burning, the psychological pain, the psychological burning that we will face in hell as we are forced to face our demons. It's painful. It hurts. It's not pleasant. That's not a pleasant experience. But we know that. We should know that. Just like going through hell in life, it's not a pleasant experience. But it's necessary. It's necessary if we want to erase the causes of our suffering, if we want to eliminate the burdens that keep dragging us down into hell. It's the alm of life. You have to descend before you ascend. It's all, it's all part and parcel with this because it's all, it all gives us the experiential knowledge that we need in order to comprehend and understand what it means to be a hero and what it means to be on the hero's journey. And how important it is to eliminate the causes of suffering. Um, we hope we answer that question for you, Kamal Manzuki. If we didn't, send us a follow-up one. We'll, we'll try to embellish. Benjamin says, did Jesus have a solar astral body when he descended to hell? I think, and this is purely my opinion, that we are currently in hell and he is calling us into this astral body so that we can be awakened into the Christ consciousness. Um, it's, a, it's a noble thought, Benjamin. Jesus did have his solar astral body at that point. 
Jesus is a a uh, a unique case, if you will, because he's the master of masters for this planet. Jesus descended from the absolute, from the solar absolute. But this notion that somehow we are in hell and we are being called to his astral body is also an interesting uh, notion. However, recently we have been watching uh, videos on near-death experiences. And in some of these near-death experiences, we have no reason to doubt them, doubt the veracity of the people sharing them. Uh, they often encounter Jesus or a figure that they identify as Jesus. But often this the figure in their near-death experience self-identifies as Jesus. And as we've been watching some of these near-death experiences and most of these near-death experiences have happened to people who they're not esotericists they're and so their understanding of of spirituality is, is basically limited to a kind of a christian viewpoint um and jesus himself said that there are different levels of the teaching he says he said to the disciples the levels that i give to you is not for them, the others, who receive the teaching on a different level. And just like in churches all over the world, people read from the Bible, but they receive a different level of teaching than what an esotericist or a mystic seeks. The deeper levels, the deeper mysteries. That's why they were called mystery schools. So... In your opinion, which I wouldn't, you you describe it as your opinion, but uh, to me, it feels more like an intuition. That all those who are called to Christ and called to worship Christ through the visage of Jesus Christ, through the image of Jesus, who try to live their life according to his principles, and to try to share joy and peace and happiness according to his principles and the great law, the great commandment, do unto others as you would have done unto you, and everything you do to the least of my brothers you do unto me. Um, it is clear that people would not be having the type of near-death experiences that they are having with the Christ or their innermost being appealing to them, uh, appearing to them as the Christ, as Jesus Christ, and giving them the instructions that they're giving them and being shown the things that they're being shown, if something along the lines of what you're describing wasn't at work, where where Master Abramento, the Christ, has created some lower level of achievement, some lower level of, of that uh, spiritual individuals 
who are still very much asleep, but they are good souls. They, they, they have kind hearts and they long to be with God and they long to be one with Christ. That they can, they can live a good life and they can, they can be a force for good in the world and that they can embody these principles at this lower level of expression, this lower level of manifestation. And, set, and that somehow they at least earn themselves um, the possibility of returning maybe in the golden age or maybe the next silver age or, or who knows, right? So that there is some, that perhaps what they're doing is are, are holding onto the coattails or the robes of Jesus, right? We don't know about using the terminology um, that he is calling us into this, his astral body so that we can be awakened into the Christ consciousness. This is, this is, this is not how we would phrase it because you cannot awaken into Christ consciousness from the astral body. You can only awaken into Christ consciousness through your own innermost being, your buddhic body and your atmic body, your causal body, buddhic body, and atmic body, meaning your monad must awaken to that consciousness. It's the monad who awakens, not us. It's your consciousness that must awaken. And to do that, you must create the, the solar causal body. But then for your monad, to become one with Christ consciousness, your monad has to die and be born again. And that that's death and resurrection. That's to, to become a, a resurrected master. But even before then, there's other levels. So there's levels and levels and levels. So the level that you're describing is before any of those levels. So we're not saying that you're not intuitively correct. It's just the words that you're putting in the way you're using them are not technically correct. No one can occupy anybody else's astral body, even if they are a resurrected master. That's not just not how it works. Uh, Kamel Manzuki gave us three thumbs up, so that's a good sign. And Azazel says, if we're alive, we can work. Otherwise, I guess the law wouldn't be having us around. Uh, that's... That's true. That's why it's called the kingdom, right? This is where we come to do the work. This is why even masters uh, reincarnate here. This is this is where the this is the chessboard, right? Where the infernal worlds and the supernal worlds play out their eternal struggle. Benjamin says, "I think the scriptures refer to this as the first resurrection of the dead, which I think is awakening from this hell." So if you're talking about, um, so this referring to as, for example, as in the book of Revelations, when the, de the, uh, the final, the, the resurrection of souls from the dead for the final judgment, and then followed by the rapture, um, this, that is a, that's a literal retelling of the book of revelation and that's not the, the book of revelation is a it's very much an intimate book for 
the awakening of the soul and the resurrection, the death and resurrection of the, the monad. So like, like the book of Genesis, it's encoded, uh, and like the book of Exodus for that matter, it's, it's encoded as a how-to manual for the awakening of the consciousness and the self-realization of the being. So, for example, the hundred and forty-four thousand, and and you know the seven the seven churches of Asia, seven churches of Asia are the seven chakras, hundred and forty-four thousand. Uh, one plus one plus four plus four is nine. That refers to Yasad on the tree of life, the ninth sphere. That's sexuality. It's 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 very much an encoded text. It's it's a it's a very cryptic text. Yes, it discusses the death of humanity and the return of the Christ, but that is uh, an analogy in macrocosm that's describing what happens in microcosm and the individual. So that's why it's the book of Revelation, and, and it's the apocalypse, the, the, the revealing, the, the death of the false self, and the revealing of the true self and the process that that how that takes place but again it's in symbol and allegory so this idea of the first resurrection of the dead um it, there again there may be an element of this an aspect of this there may be something that master abaramento negotiated with with the the lords of karma that his suffering and sacrifice allows for the believers to to gain enough karmic credits through their devotion to Christ through the image of Jesus that they earn themselves a place in the golden age but that resurrection won't take place until the golden age Right? There aren't going to be people literally raised from the dead. And it just means that there may be monads who are in hell. They're in the underworld. They're dead. But they're, but they're just in the first levels. And maybe they got really close. Right? Or they got... They're very good souls. They're not, they're not inundated with ego. They just never received the teachings because in this day and age it's it's not so easy to gain access to the teachings and if one is in a christian denomination it's it might be even frowned upon it most definitely is frowned upon if you're a catholic or a christian to start looking into gnosticism or gnosis or esotericism or mysticism because many christians put all of the occult into one basket that it's all devil worship it's all evil and that's just the reality of the day and age in which we live that people are so asleep they don't understand that the occult does not necessarily mean evil it doesn't necessarily mean devil worship but many christians and Catholics believe that that's exactly what it means, and that there's no there's no uh, there's no middle way. So 
there must be for many good souls, monads, who are trapped through family, through tradition, through ideology, through 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 religion, dogma, and and community, etc. They they are they are trapped in this closed loop of uh, Jesus idolatry, which is what Christianity really is. It's Jesus idolatry, and but Master Abramento even made this comment, you know, to Master Samael on Mayor, because Master Samael on Mayor. Uh, and the Gnostics in general tend to uh, really uh, come down hard on the religious believers and the Christian uh, Christians. Uh, how how it's not enough to believe in Jesus, and it's not enough to believe. It's you know, you have to know and all you know. And and you know that Master Samael, you know the Regent of Mars, uh, he's he was the avatar of Iron Will. Came with a lot of severity, a lot of tough love, and as the story goes, Master Samael relayed the story that Master Abramento had to take him aside and say, "Hey, listen, go, go easy on these Catholics. Take it, take it easy on the uh, Catholic bashing, will you? You have to understand that everybody who prays to Jesus, I hear them. I hear every one of their prayers. The Christ hears every one of their prayers. So, so just, you know, go easy on the Catholic bashing and the Christian bashing. So what you're talking about, Benjamin, the law of karma is fair and balanced. And Master Abramento achieved such a uh an incredible he did he he completed such an incredible work for humanity that the legacy of his work was cemented in christianity and cemented in the hearts of billions of people around the world and perhaps cemented maybe a little too firmly, too rigidly. Because, and, 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 and that a, an entire structure, superstructure, is built on that rigid foundation of Jesus idolatry and Mary idolatry for that matter. And but all of that love and devotion and attention and community because the Christians do honor and respect their community, their church communities, the broader community um in the United States the patriots are all Christian. It, I mean, it's ninety-nine percent of them are Christian. The, the the patriots, the one who, you know, really do believe on their dollar bill in God we trust, and that, and that the founding fathers 
founded the United States as a Christian nation with Christian values. Uh, these individuals take all of this very seriously. They sent their they they happily send their sons and daughters off into war to die for their country because it is it is a Christian nation founded by the founding fathers as a as a uh, you know as a nation under God right one nation under God I mean it's in their pledge of allegiance and So there's a whole uh, cascade of karmic fallout from that. Again, this, this, this superstructure, you can imagine, like the church itself, like the Roman Catholic Church, but all of these Christian churches, these Christian mega churches, right, that fit 60, 50, 60, 80,000 people inside, right? Like Joel Olstein's mega church. They're all built on this foundation, this, this very solid, rigid foundation at its core of this Jesus idolatry. The lords of karma must take this into account. Okay? The Christ must take this into account. There must be some concession that's made not only to those Christians, but also to the Muslims and also to many faiths around the world who, who were sucked into an idolatry and, and dogmatic belief, but they live by the principles as taught by those avatars. So just because you don't know about, you know, meditation and, you know, the alm of life and elimination of egos and, and uh, you know, white tantra, and you don't, you haven't studied the esoteric arts. You haven't been exposed to them in any way, shape, or form, or you've been told that they're outright demonic and evil by your rabbi or or by your priest or whomever authority of whatever religion that you follow. But you're faithful and true to the teachings of whatever avatar who is the foundation of your particular religion, there must be a way for those monads to uh, advance and to be able to uh, deal with the end times that we're in now. As Azil says, true, the truth has been angled a lot around the internet. Um, the truth has been angled a lot around the internet. Uh, and he also says, uh, yeah, uh, Samael is a harsh man. He, he, he's, he is the avatar of iron will. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. He was, he could be very gentle and kind and loving and, you know, but he was the avatar of tough love. But then again, so was Jesus. It's just that we we very rarely got to see that side of him in the scriptures. Um, Benjamin says, it got me thinking of Yod is the sex, chairs, and the chakras are the seven churches. 
What church is the sex yod ninth chakra? No, no, no. There's seven chakras. Uh, uh, Yasod is the uh, ninth sphere, which is sex. That's the ninth sphere on the tree of life. But there's only seven chakras. Eight if you count the uh, the pulmonary chakra. So, uh, so it's Yasod. Um, so we're not sure what you mean here by the, the yeah. So the chairs. The seven churches are the uh, the seven chakras. So they are um, the Church of Asifius, and you know I can't remember all the names from the from the Bible, but they are the uh, the seven primary chakras. Okay. Uh, any more questions or comments? We're we've just passed the three hour mark, so let's. Uh, Take any more comments or questions and uh, anyone? We're going to see if we can fix this lighting issue and whatnot for next week. It's going to be difficult given the layout of our space, but we'll see. Perhaps we can, um, perhaps we can do something. Um, if anybody has any more comments or questions or anything going once <laughs> going twice benjamin says okay thanks thank you all for taking the time and spending it with us and um we uh, hope to see you again next week again we have no idea what the topic will be we'll We'll let you know as 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 always on uh, Facebook and uh, on YouTube when when it comes to us. Like today's topic was a surprise, <laughs> as always. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for spending time with us and uh, have a good week. If you are in hell right now, just be and be patient. Kamal Manzuki says, every time I tune in, it's a very energizing experience. Thank you. Uh, uh, you're welcome. We're glad to hear it. Benjamin says, thank you as well for another valuable learning. You're welcome, Benjamin, as always. Um, as Azil says, thank you all. And yes, of course, thank all of you for coming and making this what it is. Because really, without all of you, it would just be me yapping into the ether. And that wouldn't that wouldn't be doing any good for anyone. But because you are all here, you can take whatever it is that you found valuable today and you can take it with you into your life and you can pay it forward. You can be this ripple effect. And we share that with you because that was in one of the near-death experiences that we watched on YouTube that um, one of the individuals, uh, when they met Jesus, he said, just, you know, you, you can't imagine what the ripple effects of your actions are out in the world. And so we will share that with you as someone shared that as part of their near-death experience. You're welcome, Jennifer, as always. We are glad to uh, have you here, as always. So go out into the world 
And if there was something positive here today, then let, let that ripple through you out into the world in whatever way that it was meant to. And, um, and no one can ask more than that. Magabu 22 says, have a great week, ladies and gentlemen. All right. With that then, again, thank you all. Hopefully we'll see you next week. And until then, we say inverential peace. Take care, everyone. Have a great week.